We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I'm Julia Plugi with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. And I'm Michaela Ray with the National Wild Turkey Federation. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. So in this episode of season two, we're going to bring back a co-host from Iowa. And we're going to talk about hunt safe or safe hunting as we get into the depth of uh, the fall hunting season. Well, I don't know about you, Julia, but I'm ready to quote unquote, get outside a little bit and chat with Megan today. A few episodes back, we introduced Megan as one of our new co-hosts from Iowa. Iowa, Nebraska, and Kansas recently started a new project where we created outdoor skills boxes that people can purchase to learn new skills to use in the field. Um, at different times a year. And so that's kind of how Megan got brought on to this crazy journey uh, that Julia and I started last year called She Goes Outdoors. So welcome, Megan. We're super excited to chat with you today. Um, we think you're a great fit to help us talk about hunt safe, safe hunting, um, because of the role that you host in Iowa related to hunter education. Thanks, Michaela and Julia, for having me today. Yes, you're, you're spot on. This topic is definitely near and dear to my heart and, and the bulk of what I do in my position in Iowa as the state administrator. So excited to, to talk with you guys all today and remind folks that are new to the sport or um, even been participating in hunting for several years, some of those key safety items that we need to definitely refresh and keep in mind as we hit back out in the field um, in the fall and Super excited, as you mentioned, with our, our joint effort that we just started and getting all the, the notifications this week as the, the first set of 50 boxes started hitting everybody's doorstep. So excited for those ladies to, to get their skills box open and start digging through the items and, and get a chance to talk with them here in a few weeks as we navigate um, their first webinar. Yeah, you know, I now that you say that, Megan, this is off topic, but maybe at some point, you guys, we're going to have to bring on some of those that purchased our pheasant boxes and add them to the podcast and hear all about their fun experiences this fall. Back on subject, so hunter education, I think that with fall approaching, safety is the number one thing on everybody's mind. Um, and I think sometimes people automatically think about hunter education, hunter safety as being something for youth, that once you learn about it when you're a kid, you don't really have to learn about it and think about it again um, as you move into your adult years. And so I think that today we're going to talk about safety all around, whether you're a youth hunter, an adult hunter, a new adult hunter, an experienced kid who's probably hunted longer than I have. Safety is going to be important for everybody. So Megan, what is your number one safety tip that if you could tell everybody one thing, what would it be? Hands down, it would be just kind of going back to those four main rules of firearm safety. Um, every year as we, we get underway in the hunting season and, and we do have a few incidents occur, um, whether it's in Iowa or across the nation, if you really go back and revisit those four main rules of firearm safety, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, um, those incidents wouldn't happen. Those rules that I'm talking about is just treating every firearm as if it's loaded. 
So whether you're, even though you know it's completely not, it's in its case, it's in your back seat, it's your trunk, still when you get ready to, to pick up that firearm to begin your hunt, you want to treat it like it's loaded. Um, always pointing your muzzle in a safe direction. Um, that way, if something does happen, you do trip, you fall, slip, whatnot, that muzzle is going to be pointed in a safe direction and not cause harm to you or someone else in your hunting party. Being sure of your target and what's beyond it. In the Midwest, I know, um, especially like our two states, you know, we're, we're presumed a little bit more flat, even though we're a lot more hilly and rolling than, than mm -hmm. most people. Um, think of, but still uh, with those farm fields and stuff and the storms we experienced this year, they're going to be in all states of conditions, whether they're plowed or not plowed or, or whatnot. Making sure that you know what your target is, you're not shooting at movement and what's beyond it is just so crucial um, before you take a shot. And then kind of the final one is to keep your finger off that trigger until you're ready to shoot. I know it can get tiring carrying that gun around in the in the pheasant field or when you're sitting on your bucket hunting doves, um, especially when you're pulling that trigger a lot of times, but you got to make sure you keep it off that trigger guard until you're actually ready to shoot and you know you got um, a good safe backstop behind it. Even if you yourself, the listener today, if, if you're not the hunter, maybe you're tagging along with someone, maybe you're your partner or even your youth are headed to the field. Um, I think this is, you're always a good way to continue to encourage others as well. Be the, be the spokesperson for hunter education at all times. I, f I find my 10 year old, you know, constantly, you know, just always that reminder to anyone he goes out with like, hey, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And so that's a mindset that we need to continue, we always should have in our heads for our own safety in the field and for others as well. Yeah, and I think it's important too, um, I'm, I'm still a novice hunter, but when I first started hunting, there were things that people had to remind me of. Some of that stuff that Megan just talked about, um, those four main rules of firearm safety. And so um, when people that were more experienced than me would remind me of those rules and keep them top of mind. Sometimes I would feel embarrassed, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Or, oh my gosh, you know, how embarrassing that they had to remind me. But that's a good thing. And I don't think any of us should feel, you know, weird or awkward about it. I think that it's great feedback and being reminded is totally okay thing. And it's totally okay for you to remind someone else. You know, I think it's all just in keeping everyone safe, making sure that, you know, everyone's uninjured and, no damage done to you or property and that it's all good. Now you're spot on, Michaela. I definitely, um, as a new hunter going out in the field, don't be scared to, to remind those folks that may have more experience of you of the safety tips as well. I think one of the, the most frequent comments that we get in after a parent um, goes back through a hunter ed course with a, a new youth or even after they start hunting with a, a new youth out in the field, they're like, it's just amazing. Um, I completely got complacent on that and I'm so glad that, you know, my son or daughter reminded me of, of those tips. So it just shows the importance of hunter safety because going back to the definition of, you know, what is safe hunting? Um, we want everyone to act in a safe and responsible manner because that's what's going to ensure that everyone gets to go home safety or safely at the end of the hunt, which is, you know, the main goal and objective besides having fun is we want everyone to go home safe and definitely not um, to have an injury occur or, or damage to property. Yeah, an experienced or a beginner hunter, you know, as we're preparing for the fall season, I think 
you know, I, I strongly encourage my family and then our listeners today just to have safe hunting on your preparation list, you know, while you're packing the bag, getting ready to field, where you're going to hunt, what are you going to eat, what are you going to wear, add onto that list safe hunting and look at that and decide, you know, as I'm preparing to even go out in the field today, what what do I need to remind myself of? What do I need from beginning to end that will keep myself and my partners or team safe? Absolutely. So Megan, let's talk a little bit about hunter education. First of all, I guess let's start with who's required to take hunter education. And I know Iowa and Nebraska are, um, you know, two different states, but it's pretty universal across the board. You're absolutely right, Kayla. Um, hunter education is something that's offered in all 50 states and, and many of our, our other countries out there. Um, we're fortunate in the United States that each state does rec recognize the certificates issued by um, each other through reciprocity and, and that's made possible by the fact that there's an organization that all these states um, are members of and they get together and they work on developing content delivery standards just to, to ensure that we have that ability um, to be able to move from state to state and experience other types of hunting. Hunter Ed, um, like you mentioned, is typically starts out for youth between the ages of 10 and 12. Now there are some states that may not have any minimum age at all, and there may be some states that have a little bit higher minimum age. So it's always important, um, no matter uh, what state you live in, just to, to take a moment and, and reach out to your respective natural resource agency. Most of this information, if not all um, nowadays, can be found online. But definitely make sure you're checking out that, that agency's website so that you're getting the most accurate information on what's required for your state. Um, in Iowa specifically, um, we allow students to be able to take the course at 11 years of age, but their certificate doesn't become valid till their 12th birthday. And then we also have a born on date. So anyone after January 1st, 1972 is required to complete Hunter Ed before they can purchase an Iowa hunting license. And then they must be able to buy that license when they turn 16 years of age. So I wanna say across the Midwest, most of it um, is pretty similar in that, like I said, might be a year or two off. Uh, um, I think like Illinois allows you at 10. Nebraska, what, what's your guys' minimum age? 11, same as yours. Pretty similar. We are. And we get parents that ask, why not below or under the age 11? I think my child is confident or is ready to hit the field. You know, as a hunter ed coordinator, what are your thoughts on, you know, that age 11? What, it, what gives it that coin age of 11 or 12? I mean, it really comes down to the, the level um, that the comprehension level that the curriculum is written at. We try to kind of write it for kind of that middle of the ground, that, you know, elementary middle schooler, um, which is a typical age that, that folks are, are usually of stature enough to be able to, to carry the firearms in the, the field, have developed enough to have those um, safe skills and capacity to go out there and participate in the hunt. But um, we definitely don't prohibit folks from younger to come to our class that just aren't able to receive that certification until they they reach that age limit. But a lot of it has to go with being able to, to have that comprehension and then that ability to, to safely handle and control that the firearm or, or bow that you're using out in the field. And my oldest is 10, between nine and 10, how much he has um, developed as far as retention of what he's doing physically and the um, even the mindset to, to know and look around him and to be safe. And I anticipate by the time he is 
older of 11 hitting 12 that there's certainly a lot difference. There's a lot of mental growth, cognitivity, retention, and like I said, physical physical able to prepare them to retain what they're learning in in hunter education. I, you know, and as an educator and a parent around that age, that's totally a spot on age to prepare the youth for the field. So I was 27 when I took hunter education and I still found it engaging and intriguing. Uh, and I learned a lot. So even as a young adult, I think that the curriculum is designed to be helpful and educational to everybody, not just the kiddos. Same here. I took it as an adult as well. In fact, maybe I even retained it more by being an adult in there and could connect with why I need to um, follow these procedures in the field. Megan, do you guys have a lot of adults in Iowa that participate in the program? Yeah, we, we definitely do. As we're seeing across the nation, you know, more fix are getting engaged. Um, just like the three of us, we all got started um, once we were in college or out of college, um, getting involved in hunting and went through the course um, in our 20s. So we definitely see uh, a lot of adults um, since getting an online um, option uh, back in 2013. We don't see as many adults going through our, our traditional classroom-based course. Um, that's typically filled by our 12 to 15 year olds but we do see quite a few adults doing the hybrid uh, model where they can complete some of the stuff online and they still want to be able to come and have some in-person instruction and have the opportunity to to try out firearms and, and practice that safe firearms handling at a field day and then uh, we definitely have uh, well over 4,000 adults each year completing the online course um, we're seeing anywhere from you know the, the 18 year old that can take it all the way up to the you know, the 55, 60 year old now that doesn't necessarily need to have hunter ed in Iowa, but um, wants to now try to, to go or has the time to go out west and hunt. So we're seeing some folks that are seasoned hunters come through our course to be able to meet some of the western states requirements in regards to having education. So I think our average age when Rachel ran up for us last for our online course now is at 30. So it's not just a bunch of 18 year olds taking the course because that's the, the easy thing or the preferred method to do. It, it is really kind of in our, our sweet spot or our, our target audience that we're trying to really work on recruiting and retaining right now and that you know that 25 to the 40 year old range is kind of where that average is. I'm really shocked by your average age being 30 Megan that just really surprises me I wouldn't I wouldn't guess that for Nebraska. Yeah, it's been interesting following it um, when we first ran the numbers after our first full year we were kind of sitting down in that that 23 24 year old range and we just each year kind of go up a, a year or two can you tell us a little bit outside of your four main rules of firearm safety megan what do you think is the second thing that everyone needs to remember when going out into the field this fall um yes yeah, definitely my other big talking point anytime that i i do one of these briefings or teach a class myself or, or do an interview is um, besides those four main firearms rules is to plan your hunt and hunt your plan. Um, it's another thing that overlook um, or get complacent on if they've been hunting for a while, but it's just so important um, whether you're, you're hunting alone or in a group to take that time before you go out um, to formulate that plan. Um, for example, if you're, you know, an archery deer hunter headed out to the tree stand by yourself, um, you need to let someone know where you're going. Um, you know, where we're hunting is typically in these remote areas. Um, and a lot of times, you know, maybe your family member doesn't hunt or uh, isn't familiar with the activity or, or maybe you're younger and, and don't have a family yet, but letting someone know where you are um, is going to make sure if something does happen that they can get help to you in a timely manner. So 
letting them know where you're going and then when you plan to return home is so key when you're hunting alone. Um, when you're hunting in a group, um, whether you're, you're pushing and standing for pheasants or shotgun deer hunting, um, or if you're just walking a straight line, you know, you need to, to know where to expect that person to be standing or what ridge that person is going to pop over um, when, they're, when they're flushing game to you. Um, if, if those folks, you know, don't follow that practice or you don't know um, kind of your plan on what you're planning to do, you know, that's when bad things can happen. Definitely never want to take a shot in those directions where you know other people in your hunting party are. It goes back to making sure that you can properly identify that target and what's beyond it. Because once you take a shot, you can definitely never call it back. This can't stress the importance enough of just taking that time to plan your hunt. Um, also, um, if you we mentioned property damage, you know, when you think about hunting incidents, you know, everyone kind of migrates towards the injuries or the, the very unfortunate fatalities that happen out there. But property damage um, is definitely another thing that, that can happen when you're out there hunting. I know in Iowa this past decade, we've seen a significant increase and the number of property damage incidents that have been happening in our state. But you got to take a step back and look at what also is happening. We're seeing a lot more urban sprawl. So, so areas that used to be by our metro areas that were um, open public hunting areas and stuff may now have a new development right next to them. In Iowa too, I think it's kind of one of our jokes as being one of the, the flyover states in the Midwest that, you know, if you look at us from the air, we're just like one big grid. So we got a lot of roadways and we got a lot more cars on the roads than ever. Um, with folks traveling around, especially during the, the kind of the peak times of hunting on the weekends, that there's a lot of cars out there. So you've definitely got to take time to get out there and see what has changed, even in just the, the area or the landscape that you're hunting. Um, farmers rotating fields too. So what was corn one year, maybe beans this year, or we see more livestock operations come into play. So you may have some uh, new barns or, or new livestock to take into consideration. So just, you know, take a few minutes and drive out to those locations ahead of time. Um, you should be doing some scouting anyway. So not only go out there early to look for game, but also just to see what changes have happened to those areas. Property damage, you know, that's both public lands and private lands. You know, we in Nebraska have some public lands that are abused. And we're, we're certainly not saying that it is the hunter's you know, we don't have proof as to who is doing it and who's not doing it, but people just, they take for granted the public, beautiful public lands that we're offering them out there and as, as staff or game and park staff or even the public will go out there to use it for different types of uses and see either things have been shot up or trashed out and it's, it's super sad to see that how people are treating our lands and we need to be respectful of that, what we have available to offer any longer. And, you know, we encourage our hunters to continue to be advocates of the available resources that we have right now. And also, Megan, when I was listening to your conversation, you may have heard her say something that sounded maybe like as if she, what is she talking about hunting deer with shotgun and nebraska residents are listening to this right now and a lot of other states are like okay well obviously she doesn't know what she's talking about she's talking about hunting deer with shotguns will you explain that just for those of us in nebraska and other states that you know we have a firearm season for deer but we use rifle megan <laughs> i was a little different in that department right yes we are um and very good <laughs> 
No, I'm not crazy. We, we, we do use shotguns. and It's definitely been a tradition in Iowa for several years. Um, we, we have two shotgun deer seasons, um, one starting the very first weekend of December and only lasts about five days. So it's a short season. And then we have a, an extended second season that goes for two full weekends in the week in between. It brings a lot of folks out and that's typically the only time of year they hunt. And that's unfortunately where we see the majority of our incidents in Iowa as well. On top of hunting with shotguns. So we're not, we're not shooting pellets out of there or anything like that. We're, we're shooting um, deer slugs um, is what it's called. So it's a project, single projectile uh, similar to a, a rifle, just it's um, designed to, to be able to um, come packaged like a, a shotgun shell and it, it's shot out of a, a special slug barrel um, that's made for the shotguns specifically. But we also do allow um, folks to party hunt in Iowa. Um, so that allows folks to um, hunt in, in a group of people. And as long as everyone um, has a, a valid tag in that hunting party, um, you can actually harvest and utilize another person's in your hunting party's tag to, to fill those. So that's why it's become a very popular season in Iowa and desirable, um, along with it being a longstanding tradition. So when you get a lot more folks out in, uh, in a small area of time, that's when things can go wrong. So definitely where hunter safety tips and those basic rules of firearm safety and all that come into play um, big time in Iowa. Ours is rifle season. You know, we have the full two weekends basically of rifle season, you know, either way, and we don't have the party hunting, like you know, your conversation of talking about flushing up game. And it's one of those things that whether you live in Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, whatever state you live in, we all have different. So while you know, we're really focusing on hunting safety, you know, those key terms, those key ways of getting on the field are very valuable nationwide, but yet when it gets down to making sure you're following your regulations as far as permits, with firearm to use, make sure you're following, you get into, onto your um, agency's website and follow those rules. And that's part of hunter education in itself is making sure you, you're following all the game, the game rules. So Megan, you had, well, Megan and Julia, you both started talking about deer hunting. And I think in Iowa and Nebraska, you know, deer season is one of the most anticipated, probably in both states. So Megan, are your safety tips for deer any different than your general safety tips? Um, most of, again, uh, definitely go back to those four basic rules, but um, and we kind of covered a little bit different or a little bit about the uniqueness of Iowa with the, the deer hunting season with shotguns and the, the party hunting. But um, I guess one of the other big things that I like to um, stress during our, our shotgun deer seasons is, um, you know, when lovely mother nature um, decides to come out and play, which we're, we're very familiar with that in the Midwest as things can change quite frequently and, and quite fast. Um, our temperatures are fluctuating a lot throughout the fall. You know, winter can come as early as, you know, October for, for at least our couple of states and maybe even a little earlier as you guys get further out west um, for you guys out in Nebraska and Kansas. You know, folks really need to, to keep an eye on that because those weather conditions can deteriorate so quickly and, um, um, they can definitely play havoc on your hunt. So I like to tell folks to put your hunt in hold, you know, when those deteriorating conditions come, because again, we want everyone to come back home safely. 
Um, don't be pushing the envelope when it's foggy out there, when you can't see. I mean, you know, the properly identifying of game is so crucial and, and not shooting at movement. You really need to make sure you have a clear field of vision when you're out there hunting. Um, wind can definitely play havoc, especially if you're bird hunting, um, taking the shots, you know, up in the sky. That can definitely change um, the trajectory of where where your rounds are going. So you got to be careful with that. Um, rain, sleet, snow, not only are they cause visual impairments, but they also make the ground that you're walking on, those logs that you're crossing, those fence that, fences that you're crossing very slick and slippery. So uh, folks need to be very cautious and go back to what you learn in Hunter Ed. You know, when you're fence crossing or crossing an obstacle, you know, take a moment to unload that firearm, pass it on to another person in your hunting party if you have the opportunity. And definitely if you're, you're crossing a fence or a creek or something, you know, put a mitten over the end of that barrel. Because if, you know, if you do slip or fall and that barrel does go into the ground, then you don't have to worry about obstructions in your barrel and, and more issues down the road that that can cause. I think that's one big factor. And then um, if you're archery deer hunting, which our states, we have an archery season as well. While most of the states, if not all states, um, don't mandate those full body harnesses, you know, wear them. Um, there's really no excuse anymore. Uh, the technology and the design of those have improved so much over the years. They're not bulky. They're, they're pretty streamlined now and a lot more comfortable to wear. So don't use that as an excuse or to use it as an excuse that you've been out there hunting for 15, 20 years. Because unfortunately, when we're looking at our incident statistics, that's where we're seeing where, they're, where those incidents are occurring. It's from folks that have lots of years of experience and just don't want to make that change to wear the safety equipment now that it's been developed and made. Also need to make sure you're, you know, inspecting um, your equipment each year. So those stands, you know, checking those straps, platforms, steps, etc. Again, with our volatile weather conditions that we have in our, our Midwest states, you know, it, it, it really wreaks havoc on those when they're left out um, year after year. So taking time to check out that equipment before and then maintaining those three points of contact, climbing up or down the stand. Uh, making sure that you're using a haul line um, to get your equipment in and out. You know, don't be lugging a big backpack on your back or trying to carry your firearm, your bow as you go up and down. Um, they can get in the way, they can cause you to slip or fall, uh, cause you to be off balance. So just take the time and, and use those safety mechanisms that have been developed. I know they're not law, but they're, they were developed for a reason and to help prevent incidents and injuries. So um, take time to use those. It was a good point that you brought up that not to leave like your equipment out year round. Tree stands is is one. We have a a spot that I used to one of, actually a spot that I first went deer hunting, and there was someone else that used to hunt the spot as well. Left out all year, and you know seen it in November. Didn't come back and see it again until the following November came back to find, and I seen it as well, where the raccoons had clearly, and other critters, had clearly had fun on this tree stand. <laughs> uh, I mean, they demolished this tree stand. And so, and I don't, that that hunter, he didn't, he didn't even know it until he came back, crawled up that morning to discover that, well, I clearly had been sharing my tree stand with something else right there. You know, spot just just go back to the next weekend even and, and pick up your gear, take it home, and plan to set it back out before the hunt in the following year. Yeah, and from a personal experience, um, I've even had, you know, situations where we put my tree stand 
on a specific tree um, and the, it was kind of along a creek. It was a great spot, but we came back the next year and a good portion of the ground was missing from the bottom of this tree stand as the creek had eroded away over the last year. And so clearly I was not looking to climb back up in that tree stand that was only half rooted in the ground. So it's not even your equipment, but in that situation, you know, the environment around you can change so much in a year, which can um, have a big influence on the places and the way that you hunt. So uh, this is you know, maybe one of our heavier podcasts, Julia, talking about safety. It's, a, you know, it's, uh, there's not a lot of laughs and giggles because it is important outside of the seriousness. I think that there's a lot of positive things going on and good things that come from being safe. So Megan, do you want to share maybe some of the positive things that have happened because of hunter education? Most definitely. Um, and you hit it on the nail. I mean, today, you know, we did talk a lot about the, the, the what ifs and what could happen and the bad things that could happen while you're out in the hunt. But, but definitely, um, overall, hunting is an extremely safe activity. Um, when you're, you're looking at it compared to other activities out there and um, the National Safety Council has put out information on this and, you know, hunting results, hunting incidents result in fewer than, you know, fewer injuries per 100,000 participants more than other recreational sports such as cycling, bowling, golf, and tennis. So when you're when you're looking at those type of activities where you very rarely ever hear of an incident happening, that shows you um, how safe hunting is. Again, these become unfortunately big incidences just because of who they involve. I mean, they're, you got to think about who we hunt with. We hunt with our friends, our family. So you know, unfortunately, when something does happen, can leave lasting impacts on um, families and, and the community. So. Um, that's, that's why they're big news. It's not because it's happening so frequently, but on a positive note, there's a lot of great things that have came out because of hunter education. Folks are, are more knowledgeable, respectful. I think ethics is just as important. Um, and a lot of retrospects and, and Julia touched on some of those things today, um, about when we are out in the field, you know, making sure that we're leaving the areas that we, we visit and use in much better condition than what we find them. Um, that's that one thing that hunters can do. They, you know, you're, you're conservationist. Hunting is a conservation tool. So, um, it does a lot of benefits for, for recreation. Um, the funding that it brings in goes out to, to make sure that these wild places and that we have healthy herds of, of wildlife for everyone to enjoy. So that's another big bonus of, of what hunters do for outdoor recreation and conservation. Lots of positives that come out of, out of the sport. Um, it's, like I said, a, an awesome tool. Um, it's a much needed tool and it's a very safe tool and activity for folks to enjoy. And, you know, one thing we haven't talked about today is just because you're listening to this podcast doesn't mean that you're a novice hunter and you know nothing about hunter education. So it might not be a bad idea, Megan, to just touch on real fast. Um, what if you want to be a hunter education instructor and you want to give back? How do you go about that? Definitely. That's an awesome way to give back because, you know, the best way to learn is to learn from someone else that enjoys the activity, is passionate about it, and has prior experience. So all 50 states um, do have a, a program or a method to be able to get volunteer instructors out there. Usually it takes um, an application to start off with or a conversation with your local conservation officer. There's usually some sort of training. Um, again, it can vary from state to state. We offer uh, what we call a new instructor workshop and, and we have folks come in for a day and provide them um, some training specifically on the curriculum itself and the kind of the, the unfun parts of the, the job, the, the required paperwork and tracking and all that, that stuff and taking care of the equipment. But it really allows folks to be able to 
get out there and in front of folks of all ages and and learning levels and interest levels and, and really showcase what they're passionate about. That's kind of the nice thing because most of these classes are done in teams. So you don't have to be the expert on everything out there, but you can pick your favorite aspect of hunting and and really showcase that with with folks that are are just hungry for that information and, and to get that experience to get out there. Some states do have some requirements. They may require you to teach a minimum number of courses or a minimum number of hours um, in a certain period of time to retain that certification. But um, with the, the advent of, you know, the adult adult onsets like us and the need to, for retention and, and to recruit new folks out there. Um, Hunter Ed's really kind of expanded over the last, I would say, decade too, to include uh, lots of learn to hunt type programs or field to fork programs, mentoring experiences. Um, mentoring is definitely so key. Um, you know, the class is great. It gives you the basics. It gives you the knowledge. But without that, that repetitive practice and that re repetitive interaction and having someone out there that's safe and knowledgeable to kind of guide you, that's how you really learn and um, gain that confidence in getting out in the hunting field and, and garner to the ability of being out there on your own is, is that mentorship. Even if you don't want to teach a certification class, you know, just really um, consider being a mentor. It's so important. Is there anything else that you need the audience to know today, Megan, or did we cover all the good stuff to get people started? I think we covered a lot of it. Just one thing with our, our current climate that I wanted to point out, especially when we were talking about hunter education and the, and the different offerings that the different states um, have available is unfortunately with, with this COVID-19 that's still uh, rearing its ugly head around our communities. Um, you, you definitely want to make sure you're not waiting to the last minute this year. Um, a lot of our, our state agencies have had to um, make some changes or modifications to how those courses are delivered and or make some changes to regulations. So you want to definitely get out there, um, reach out to the agency, take a look on the website to see what is going to be available this fall from those states that have moved forward and have reopened classes these last couple of months. There's definitely not the number of classes that we typically have out there and we're definitely reducing the number of participants we're able to take in each class so we can make sure that we can practice those social distancing measures and, and incorporate other uh, precautionary measures to, to help prevent the spread. So take that extra time. Um, we, we know folks like to wait to the last minute. That's unfortunately kind of the way we of our society is now this year I would just caution you and, and if you're thinking about getting out there hunting this fall or if you want to get your son or daughter through a course get started on that now. Well thanks for joining us in the outdoors today Megan. Don't forget that you can join us on Facebook at She Goes Outdoors and you can talk with us and others about hunter education, hunting, angling, shooting sports, all the good outdoors. Uh, we're also on Instagram and we now have a new website available. So we would love for you all to visit. Pay attention close because it's sgooutdoors.com. I'll say it one more time. sgooutdoors.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Megan. You're welcome, lady. And we'll see you all outside. Bye.